Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Build a Business Success Secrets. I am your host, Brandon C. White. And today I've got a super interview with a friend, Ben Congleton, the co-founder CEO of Olark. And if you're not familiar, Olark was the first company to have that little pop-up in the right-hand side of a website that said, get help with live chat. And he's got a really cool story because he started out on the search for venture capital and went through a really well-known program and decided not to take it. And he's built a really successful company over the years on reputation, organic SEO, and word of mouth. And you're going to love this episode because Ben tells some stuff he never has. Let's not waste another second. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Build a Business straight talk for entrepreneurs. We're here with, and I'm going to get his last name wrong, even though I've known him for like five years, Ben Cognelton. Is that right, Ben? I'll take it. Uh, all right. From He is the co-founder and current CEO of Olark. And if you don't know Olark, you need to know Olark. Olark was the first company to put that little icon in the right-hand side of a website so that you can talk to your customers. And we're going to talk about that, but what we're really going to talk about, because Ben has a super interesting story. We've known each other, I don't know, four or five years. We met at a conf. Where did we meet, Ben? We met, we met at a conference in Vegas. In put Vegas. On, put on by Paul, right? Yeah. Uh, Zero conference. Startup Accelerator. Yeah. It was yeah. such a cool, eclectic group of people. Everyone there was super interesting, and there was yeah, it was just uh, it was a small, small group, small conference. It was great. Yeah, it was all, and and uh, for listeners, Ben and I started talking, and Ben lives over in East Palo Alto. I live in Half Moon Bay. Ben thinks I live on the other end of the earth as well as everyone else, but we're really not that far from one another. And and uh, the crazy part is we we just called up in person that we've been meaning to do for four years. But um, <laughs> we see each other at the conference. But Ben, thank you so much. I know it's we're doing it on Friday. This is just the way it works out. Thank you so much. Tell us your story. And can you take us back to when, all the way back to where Olark started from? Yeah, and we were chatting about this beforehand. So uh, we're going to go way, way back, way back, <laughs> set the scene. It's like, Pre 2001, right? We're, we're going way back there. So pre 2001, I had started a web hosting company in high school. So 1998. And at this time, there was, there was actually a couple live chat providers, but they were all very enterprise focused. But there was one live chat provider called Human Click. This was an Israeli company. Old school. That's old school. And so we were using Human click. It was super valuable for our business as a small business, as like, you know, high schoolers. We didn't have a phone number. We used chat to connect with our customers. And so we grew that business by senior year. We we're doing about $170,000 a year in revenue, which was, wow. which was pretty awesome. Like it was super fun. But during that time, 
Human Click ended up getting bought by LivePerson and becoming the tech stack for LivePerson. And so mm. we had switched to other products that were more affordable because when LivePerson bought Human Click, they ramped up the pricing a ton and then focused on enterprise, which made it made a ton of sense. But for a small business, it kind of screwed us over. So like, imagine you have that idea in the back of your mind, right? You fast forward, uh, you know, you graduated from college, you finished high school, you graduated from college. During this time, you still kept running that web hosting company kind of on the side. And you had some buddies who, you know, were co-founded that web hosting company with you. And you were kind of thinking about what's next. And so I'd gone off and worked on a PhD at the University of Michigan. My two co-founders, that web hosting company, one of them had gone to LA to start a band. The other was sort of working in uh, southwestern Virginia, Norfolk, just doing like full-time sort of consulting from deals that I would go find and sort of keeping the lights on the web host of the company. And so and you're making some extra money here, right? Uh, I mean, honestly, we, we kind of were making, it was not, it was not making a lot of money. It was not <laughs> lucrative. This was okay. like completely not lucrative. It's like we peaked senior year high school in <laughs> revenue. And then we all went to undergrad and we like had fun in college and used it to help pay for our degrees and stuff like that. But Got we weren't it. like, we weren't banking money. I think we decided to like have fun in college and have like, like passive income is a freaking lie, but we had kind of like <laughs> declining income. <laughs> well, I like that because I just did something I was telling someone the other night. I was like, I'm so sick and tired of all this online BS about passive income. I mean, passive income just means to me that you're not a service business. It means that it works when you're not there, but it doesn't mean you don't work. Yeah. I mean, there may be some magic out there somewhere, but, <laughs> but like it, this was not, this is not us. So anyway, so we had. Two guys, basically, whose livelihood was based on the consulting jobs I could find. We had some income still coming in from the web hosting company. I was working on a PhD. And we're like, uh, we started getting jobs from startups. And so people were hiring us to go build stuff for them. And in my mind, I was like, man, these people are like, these are like not great ideas. They're still paying us a bunch of money. Like, why don't we go do this ourselves? And they would like try to like take it, have us like get pay us an options or equity or something like that. We're just like, no, just, <laughs> just give us cash. You guys can make all the money, but like we just need the fair bills. And so what we would do is we would build them out. Like, let's say we were charging, we were stupid, charging <laughs> way too little money. Like, let's say we charge $75 an hour. What? We would pay ourselves $25 an hour. This is how, this is how dumb we were. So we'd pay ourselves like $25 five dollars an hour and then for two-thirds of our time we'd spend working on cool projects and like new ideas and stuff like that so build a client spend the rest of the time working on new ideas and so uh, the first idea that we built with this team like me kevin and roland was something called mopis which kind of tells you how much we sucked at marketing but it was a <laughs> modular synthesis for garage band it was fairly popular with like German techno artists, hmm. but it was, it was because Roland and Kevin were both into electronic music. And so this sort of fat with their fat fit with their interest. And I was like, Hey guys, like, you know, you know, the market better than I do. Like if this thing can work, that's great. Turned out it didn't work very well, but it made, you know, made thousands of dollars, but not like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this was pre iPhone. How we released it as an iPhone app, like who knows what, what the world would have been, like. but it was, it was pretty cool. And. After that kind of flop, we went back to the drawing board and looked at some a couple other products because Roland has, has uh, was actually in a signed band out in LA. He had this idea: oh, it's so hard to 
keep track of all our gigs. We have to update our MySpace. We have to update whatever other websites existed back in like 2007, 2006 to post your band gigs on. Maybe Facebook, probably GeoCities. <laughs> GeoCities. <laughs> had to update your tripod page. <laughs> had to log into your BBS and like update. Anyway, like uh, so it was a pain. So I was like, oh, let's build this tool for bands so that you can post your gigs and people know um, can follow you and stuff like that. And then we're like, oh, sudden insight. Bands have no money. They're not going to build pass. Sudden so, insight. Like so it. we, we kind of spec'd it out and then decided not to build it. So, and then at this point, we were sort of into this idea of thinking about products, incubating products, trying out new ideas. And we were like, oh, well, what about, what about live chat? Like what's happened with live chat in the last like 10 years? So this is like 2000. We'll call it 2007, something like that, right? So, like, I don't know, eight years ago, we first used live chat. And now we looked around, and it was the same freaking guys. In eight years, like, nothing had changed in the market. Like, everyone was just copying live person and trying to build enterprise solutions. And we're like, this is this is ridiculous, right? Like, there's all these small businesses selling online. There's this growing, like, uh, movement from offline to online commerce. And there's no good communication technique for SMBs to talk to their customers on their website. Like people are spending all this money in AdWords and there's no way to talk to them. And we know that this is valuable because we used it back when we were getting started. And now we were a lot more sophisticated. We knew how to program, we knew how to scale stuff. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, what if we just built the thing that we needed 10 years ago or eight years ago? And so we set out to build a chat that just basically worked for us. It was super freaking easy to add to the website. We kept thinking like, what if you could drop one line of code on and it would just work? And the second part was, what if you didn't have to change any of your habits? We're like, okay, like back in the day, we all used Pigeon or ADM. We were in there as IM clients all the time. What if like chatting with customers on your website was that easy? And so we actually built the original version and we hacked it in so you could uh, you could chat from AIM into the people on your website. You could chat from, I think we we built MSN. And you can do it via like iChat and Jabber. And so like, so we built the thing basically that we would have loved eight years ago. And it was very simple, pretty ugly. And the the neat thing is at that time we had to invent like all the tech because like at that time it was pretty innovative. Like there was no like X HTTP request. There was no like, that's old school. I remember you know, that. you had to make it like IE6 compatible. Like it was, it was a fairly complicated technical challenge just to make the basic plumbing of this thing work. And then on the back end, dealing with all these third party, uh, like it's meshing protocols. Like we were able to like hack stuff together. We were like writing C code. I mean, it was, it was, it was a cool technical challenge to kind of get it running. And, and then we sort of took that and again, like I was doing my PhD, primary income was coming from consulting. Roland was still kind of doing the band thing. Kevin was spending most of his time doing consulting work. So this was kind of like we were like fitting it in two thirds time. And I would basically dedicate every Sunday to this thing. Like every Sunday I would start working on it. Originally it was called Abla which means to talk in Spanish. We bought HIB.LA because I really like short domain names. Yeah. And so that domain name was bought, I think, in 2007. So in 2007, we had a name. We hired a, a friend of mine from high school to do like all the initial design work. So he built like a brand and a nice website for us. And, and then we kind of started going around to forums and 
looking for people that were looking for widgets to put on their website to chat with other visitors. And that meant we were talking, there was a lot of librarians looking for stuff like this. There was, uh, uh, occasionally there was, uh, at this time there was a company called Mebo that had aggregate. It was kind of like putting pigeon or ADM and putting it in the browser. Like that was their key value proposition is they had just like took that and put it into a browser. And they had this thing called Mebo Me, which is like this little chat widget. And we were like, well, their chat widget is horrible. What if we can just like find all the people complaining about all the limitations of their chat widget and just send them links to our stuff? And On so the that, BBS boards? Is this? Uh, they, they had a, no, they had a forum. So, well, oh. yeah. I mean, this isn't like dial up. <laughs> yes. But yeah. They no, had a forum. Right, but- but you're you're in you're in their chat and you're just reading the reviews and then just DMing or yeah basically well they we make a lot of public posts but we would just like scour the internet like for these forums because this is like what probably pre Twitter and stuff like that too right. and so we would scour the internet for people who are having this complaint and we would be helpful and non spammy and be like hey we're building this free thing to solve the problem that you're having check it out like we built this for ourselves what do you think of it and so. That's how we got our initial customers. They're mostly libraries and kind of a weird swash of people that have been using Mebome. And so the interesting thing because of that, and this is interesting because I don't think I've actually told the story before. So you're getting like some really like some fresh, I'm really fresh, that, uh, fresh stuff. And so, all right. So this is 2000. So 2007, we had the product. It launches free. And 2008, so we had been at it for about, I don't know, not quite a year. Summer 2008, we kind of worked more of the bugs out and it like kind of worked and people were using it and we had more users using it. And at this point, I think Mebo had kind of caught on to us and we got a phone call from Mebo or an email, it was an email, right? An email from Mebo said like, Hey guys, we want to buy you. <laughs> and, and we're, we're like, uh, come on out to California and meet the team. <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, that sounds kind of cool. So we all flew out there. I think at that time, Roland was living in Virginia. Kevin was living in another part of Virginia. And I was in Michigan working on my PhD. So we all flew out there. Like, we should have realized we weren't going to make any money when uh, we got picked up by the super shuttle at the airport. But we <laughs> shuttle <laughs> to, the, like, to the crappy hotel that they put us up in. I went down to Castro Street in Mountain View, where their office was basically above one of the bars there. So like one of the perks of their office was that there was a back stairwell that like went into a bar. And, you know, we thought that was kind of cool, but went upstairs and it just kind of felt like a job interview. We're like, this is kind of weird. Like we're not really talking about the business. This seems like a, like kind of like a personal interview situation. And then the end of that, they're like, Hey, uh, we want to do like an asset acquisition. We'll give you like, tens of thousands of dollars and we want to hire Kevin. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to sell the business for tens of thousands of dollars, but if you want to try to hire Kevin, go for it. And like, and so this was probably like, I don't know, August of 2008. And so maybe July. And, and then, so basically Kevin initially said no to them, right? He's a very loyal friend and like he wanted to do this. And I think, I think I had, I, I had told Seth, like, basically, no, but you can try to hire Kevin, you know, whatever. He's my friend, but if he wants to leave, like, you know, I give you my blessing to go try to hire him because, like, I'm working my PhD. Like, I don't know where this thing's going. It's still a side project. It's a project. Yeah. And so, 
Kevin ended up getting hired. They like flew out to Virginia. They like baked the cookies. They worked hard on him. Kevin was a genius and is still a genius. And so he, he ended up getting hired and, and going and working at, at Nebo. And that left me and Roland. And so I am like kind of cross business technical. Roland's a great designer, really good, like thinking, uh, really good thinking creatively, like growing product manager skills and stuff like that. And so it was just us. And I was like, man, I don't want to be CTO. Like, I don't want to like run tech. I want to, I'm more interested in kind of the whole picture. And so we, we started this sort of search for, okay, well, I think, I think what ended up happening was that me and Roland sat down. We're like, man, how do we make this thing real? Like either we need to kind of kill this off and move on with our lives and just focus on like, I got to focus on my PhD. Roland had talked about going to architecture design school. Or we got to like try to make this thing real. So it's like, do we kill it or do we make it real? And I think Roland kind of pushed and said like, hey, maybe we should apply to Y Combinator. This wasn't me. Roland was like, maybe we should apply to Y Combinator. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. And so, so like Roland pushed us and like we fill out the app and applied to Y Combinator. You, uh, it's you, Roland, and who at this point? Uh, it was me and Roland. And it's interesting. I think on the YC application, I think actually there's one other person on the YC application. It was my friend George. It was like a college buddy that I had added. Love this guy. Really good friend. I think we convinced him to be part of the application and he was and, kind of excited about it. And you are studying, what is your PhD you're studying? I was studying, uh, I was in the school of information. So I had a master's in computer science. I had an undergrad in business and computer science and uh, information is kind of in an in interdisciplinary degree. So it's super freaking fun. Like I was, I was like taking anthropology courses. I was taking econ. I was taking design courses. It was basically like understand people using all different methods, like anything from quantitative to qualitative to like the way economists approach rational thinking to the way anthropologists approach, approach, uh, like just studying the way people make decisions and live their lives. That sounds awesome. Super fascinating. I even took a class in the business school on like conversation analysis. It was like the most fun ever. It was super fun. This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086 and talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571 271 9086. Now back to the show. So you rolling in George, this guy. Yeah, who, yeah. George is super smart. I could I could have a whole interview on George, but like George <laughs> is amazing. But yeah, so, you, so we but applied. You applied a Y Combinator. Yeah. And and but but in parallel to that process, I was kind of like, all right, we need to find another tech co-founder. Like, mm. like we need a technical co-founder for this. And I can I can speak tech. I can talk to engineers. Like I, I love doing this stuff, but it's not my passion. It's not like the thing that like, I'm not like driven to like simplify and create good software engineering and like all the processes around that. Like that, those are weaknesses for me. And I want to find someone that loves doing that stuff 
even though I can do it, I want someone who loves it. And so I started going to a lot of meetups in Ann Arbor. I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time. Went to a lot of meetups trying to just meet people. At one point, I require, I, I convinced this guy, forgot his name, but he had a competing product to Abla. And it was called Library Help. It was all written in Erlang. He was like some, uh, I want to say like kind of a technical guy at some astronomy lab in like North Carolina or something like that. Right. And I was like, you know, clearly you love the technology side. I like the business side more. Do you want to work together? And so like we kind of did a little experiment and like he uh, helped me out like writing some code in Erlang. Like I was like, oh, why don't you try to reimplement the service we have in Erlang and see how that feels and let's try to work together and see if like, see if there's a, if that relationship works at all. And like, we went back and forth for a bit and he's like, you know what? Like, I can't do a startup right now. I got too much going on in my life. It's not a good fit. But like, I built a connection. I talked to this guy, convinced him to give it a shot. And like, you know, and then it didn't really work out for him. And not sure where he is today. Probably super happy, but it just wasn't like the right road for him. And then like, I, I had met, met this guy, Brandon, through these meetups and I was like, Brandon's pretty sharp and. I don't know. It's, it's like, there's so many details of the story, but like, well, this is like magically I'm at Brandon for a meetup. There is a, like a friend that actually introduced me to Brandon because he had just been let, let go from his job. And then I was like, Hey, like I'm working on this thing. Do you want to help me out? I see anything going on. Do you want to be my, do you want to be my co-founder? And like, and Brandon came over. So at this point it was me, Roland. I think George was still involved at this point and, uh, and, and Brandon. And I would say George probably wasn't doing much. I was doing a lot. Roland was doing a lot. Brandon was doing a bit. And, and like we were together, we'd kind of get together on Sundays and kind of jam on this because Brandon and I were local. We'd go like sit on his, sit on his couch and like hack on stuff for, for a bit on Sundays, maybe a little bit during the week and stuff. And fast forward, it's now like, oh, what time is it? Oh, I guess, I guess. Okay. So in December 2008, Y Combinator said that we could interview with them. We're accepted in the interview, but because the market is so bad and we're not sure if you're going to get funded, if you want to, you can defer. And we were like, all right, I'm in the middle of a PhD program. It's a lot of stuff in flux. I don't even know if we have the right founding team. Let's freaking defer. And then in the meantime, let's apply to Techstars. Let's apply to other accelerators. Let's just like clean up our lives so we can go focus on this thing. So like we got the, we got the interview. We said, all right, we'll, we'll, t- we'll put it off. We'll interview for the next batch. And so from December to, I would say June of that year. So December 2008 to June of, uh, whatever. I don't know. I don't remember when the interview was. We'll call it like May or something like that or March. I, I don't remember. April. Maybe it was probably in April. So, that, so, so in that interim time, we applied to Techstars. We met people at Techstars. We ended up getting into Techstars for both Boulder and Boston. We were like giving talks, like entrepreneurial events on like the stuff we were doing, basically just living like we're going to do it for real. Like we're yeah. just like F one combinator, F accelerators. We're going to get in if we can. Like if we get in, we get in. If we don't, like they're missing out. Like we're, we're right. You're rolling. Well. You're building a company at this and, point. And, and I'd done this with my web hosting company. Uh, the web hosting company initial funding, initial outside investment was a hundred dollars <laughs> from my uncle <laughs> who helped us buy the domain name. We had friends that hooked us up with our initial like server hosting. We did a bunch of consulting work to like buy our first servers. Like w- we had done this before. Like just like, I was more familiar bootstrapping than any other format of building business. So like I that's all I know. 
and all I knew. So, okay. So we were like, we're going to do this for real. It's South. I think at some point during this process, prior to March, I had met this guy, Matt, and this other guy, Andrew, at a uh, kind of like a startup drinks event in Ann Arbor, like just a networking event. Like there's a lot of like kind of entrepreneurs at events and stuff like that yeah. in Ann Arbor. <laughs> and so like, so me being there and having an actual product just made like the, all the best people want to talk to me. Like uh-huh. the people who want to do startups but didn't have an idea or stuff like that would come talk to me. And so I sort of had my pick of people to work with me back then because I was like, oh, the guy is actually doing it. And, you know, he's a PhD student, you know, like it was kind of cool. And, and what ended up happening was uh, Brandon, I think, was about to get married. And mm-hmm. so he couldn't like leave Michigan. And he had just bought a house or something. Like he had a lot of like other constraints going in his life. And George was unwilling to leave Austin, Texas. Like he just, he had also bought a condo. He'd worked at IBM and like a couple of companies down there. And he, and he was underwater on his mortgage oh. and he loved Austin. And so like we had these, like the two guys, right? We're just in a situation where like financially it didn't make a ton of sense for them. And like just at their stage in life didn't make a ton of sense for them. And so what ended up happening is I think met Matt at this event and I was like, Matt, you can be a co-founder. Like if you go talk to George and like he's cool with it, and he decides to leave and you replace him basically. And so he, he went down to South by Southwest. He was already going to and he met George and Austin talked over George and George said like, Hey, like Matt's a much better person to do this. Time. So like you had some really good people just like good humans involved i yeah i only really work with good humans <laughs> like i can't I, I mean you know i've worked with people who aren't good humans but like it was like my direct network of like really close friends that i was doing this stuff with like they're all just fantastic human beings right and, and like i think and i think that's kind of what it takes like you know the people that you're gonna like that you would even consider to be at like co-founder level like these are people that like you know they have your back you know that they're thinking that they're they're thinking of the team. They're not thinking of themselves, and like they're just like good people. So like you know like George, my friend from Austin, like just amazing good friend of mine. And like you know like we're still very close friends. And you know like yeah, it kind of sucked that he couldn't leave Austin and go do this thing with me. But like anyone that you would elevate to that level of like, hey, we're gonna like work together for like ten years. Like you better be like right. better like really have a bond there because you're going to go through tons of shit. <laughs> and, yeah. sometimes, and sometimes you can get lucky, right? You can meet someone at a bar. Like I met Matt at a bar mm. and like, we were just chatting and he just, you know, I think because he had been friends with Brandon, like that existing network, like helped make me feel, be more reputable in that situation. And Matt turned out to be an amazing human being. And so. And so, was yeah. there any that quick, Question, because a lot of listeners, was there any issue with equity at this point? I mean, was it all up in the air? Like George says, Matt's a better person. Did you give George like a piece of the pie or George, or, you know, it was all business like, hey, you can't do it. We're really sorry. We absolutely love you, George. But well, at that time, no one was full time. And oh. we we're all just trying to like, we were all doing this part time aside and we weren't even sure it was going to be real. The okay. only like real equity agreements that had been put in place at that time was we had like, we had not like back in those days, man, like we were just like inventing this shit. Like there's like <laughs> so much resources now. I think we just kind of invented like vet, kind of like vesting over time. We we're just right. like, how should we divide this? Okay. Well, we'll like 
set a cap table. We'll just like pay ourselves and shares and like all informally. Like we had didn't even we hadn't incorporated or anything like that. Like, Got you. We were just kind of like we had a gentleman's agreement because we're all like friends and right. Like, no one was. I think everyone was just like reasonable human beings. And so for Kevin, because he had like written so much of the code and really been in it, I think of the situation a little bit different. And then the guy, David, who had actually done all the like website design stuff, I think we ended up just paying him for that because like he ended up not being in a place to be a co-founder either. Like, Got you. So, so like I think all, and the neat thing is all this was happening part time on the side, which I think also made it a little bit easier too, because no one had like made giant sacrifices to go do right. this. Like they were all kind of doing it on the side to help out friends because they're kind of excited about doing the startup thing. And then the idea of like leaving and not getting paid any money, like yeah. I, I think like um, changes things. Yeah, it changes things. So, and I would say that in all the cases of all the people we met, for the most part, these are people that we had had like existing relationships with or like for friends of people that we had existing relationships with. And so it kind of had that network. The only exception of that rule would be like Andrew, who kind of joined us as a, as a third co-founder when we were a fourth co-founder when we went into YC, because back then they would give you an extra 5k if you 5k per founder. Right. And, you know, Andrew's a smart guy, but I think like if like it was clear, like he was a junior, uh, like, yeah, like he still needed to do his senior year of college. Oh, so, okay. So, but, but, the, but the four of you decided to go do Y Combinator at this point. Not yet, but more or less. Yeah. So we, we had to get into YC first, but I think like sure. shortly after like George, uh, Matt subbing for George, Andrew, like just kind of spent a lot of time working on me to let me kind of like let him join. And I like, made him do a bunch of work, like go do a bunch of business case stuff and things like that. And he kind of like showed me that he worked hard and was willing to like put in the time. And, and, you know, I, I like smart, young, ambitious people. Like I love yeah. it working with ambitious people and Andrew is definitely super hardworking. And so like, I, I, I admired that in him. And so I was like, yeah, sure, man, we'll make you a founder and you can come out and do IC with us. Like, so I think like I kind of sometimes I'm a little trite about like, Oh yeah, we add Andrew to be a co-founder <laughs> because because we for extra 5k but like in actuality like andrew had proved himself during that those couple months before yc that he was just like in it he was like working hard he had like i mean he probably had the most sales experience of anyone on the team like mm -hmm. he he brought a lot to the table but he was pretty young and inexperienced and i mean there's a lot to be said of ambition young and inexperienced like it, it, it provides a lot of value and a lot of energy so you can, can so we you guys have, it's just like a, I mean, it's a sausage factory, right? You guys are just figuring it out, but you eventually get your rears to California. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, uh, I think we finally, at some point after March of 2009, we ended up with the team being like me, Matt, Roland, and Andrew. And e equal co founders. No, we hadn't done equity. <laughs> we hadn't discussed equity. Yet. Oh, okay. We really finalized equity at that point. Got like, it. We weren't like NYC. We hadn't incorporated. So still a project, but you had customers. No one was paying us at this point. Okay. All free. We, it was to all free users. And so we, it was still just kind of very much like a dream and a bunch of excitement. <laughs> and so. I know that feeling. And so we. I think probably like letting Andrew join kind of happened like last minute. I can't remember. I don't remember if he was at the YC interview or not. I think we might have added him between getting in and joining YC. 
but he might remember that better than I do. But like, I was, it was, I was like over 10 years ago. So, so I, don't, I don't remember that specific right. detail, but when Y comment, when we started YC, Andrew was there. He was a co-founder. He had a lesser equity. Me, Matt and Roland didn't do complete split. Like I took a little bit more than those guys because right. I was kind of like the driving force for this thing. But for the most part, it was pretty even. Got you. And that, that got us to California. I, I mean, it only took me half an hour to get us to California. So <laughs> well, you got us to get, we're in California now, but, <laughs> but, but I think that story's important. The rest is history. <laughs> now, I, I think the important part is, is that people think that you just like, Hey, Ben, come over for dinner and we whip out this idea and we go crank some code out and oh my God, Olark's got XYZ users and we're making money and we're drinking beer. Like, that's not the way it happens. Nope. Nope. There's nothing like that. I mean, I guess you want to, I'll, I'll get us to the end of YC and I'll, I'll, I'll accelerate a little bit. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to focus on that part of the story. Just no, it's, part of the story I haven't really told very much before. Well, it's really important. I think also the lesson there is you've got to find, I mean, you're, you, and, and people always ask, right? I mean, you know, this, a non-technical co, a non-technical co-founder is like, I need to find technical co-founder. And I always say, well, that's the wrong. You're, first of all, you're asking the wrong question. The, the right question is, I need to find the right co-founder because technical, non-technical, I don't care. You're married, like and like you said, you go through. It's not uh, the high is when you win, you win, and you're yeah. good. But that's not the test. You know, the test is when. Yeah, I mean, you will deal with tons and tons of shit, and it takes a long time. So, like, yeah. I think that, I think there is this, like, outside notion that, like, there's a couple of stories, right? These companies that grow, like, super fast and, like, like, get successful very, very quickly. And I think people like to kind of hang on to those stories, like, sort of the, like, Instagrams or, the, like, Facebooks, you know, these, like, rapid success stories. But those are the exceptions. And I think that it's important to... Give you a context. There's many success stories that take take a very long time and take a lot of pivots and take like and even those guys though, Ben. You know, I, I tell people like Facebook didn't happen. Yes, they had rapid growth, but it still wasn't overnight. Like there were several years when they were doing colleges, and I use Under Armour, right? Everyone's like, "Oh, Kevin and those guys." No, Kevin was in Kip's grandmother's basement making shirts out of pantyhose material for like. Four years, you, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. But no one wants to talk. And I think even Airbnb, those guys, I think were were a month away from going broke, like building cereal boxes. So and I think they had tried to do something else first, and they had kind of like, yeah. yeah. There was like a couple of different things they had tried during that process of actually figuring out what their company was even going to be. But, but I think point, the, the point, point, point that I'm like, trying to make is even when you know, even once right. you know what your company is going to be, it takes time too. And there are a couple guys that have gotten very I would say lucky in terms of market timing, yeah, network, and they've done really well. But I, I feel like you don't really want to like base your philosophy or your approach on like getting lucky. You need to kind of build a process that's going to work that like generates opportunity over time, as opposed to just counting on opportunity just existing for like one moment and just going to grab it really fast. Yeah, it's like get rich quick scheme. It's not going to work. Yeah. Can you walk us through for the listeners? I mean, not everybody knows, you know, we're tech nerds 
been. Not everybody knows Y Combinator, but Y Combinator is really considered probably the de facto accelerator in the world. I mean, there's Techstars and there's other really, really good accelerators. Y Combinator is probably one of the first that really had the hits and put them on the map and has an engine that does it. I think the what I'd love you to talk about is you go through Y Combinator and you get a little bit of money, but the expectation when you go through Y Combinator is this demo day and now you're going to go raise money and there's this thing here in the valley that we live in that the badge of honor, I, that's what I call it, or like mm-hmm. the, the, the gold star for Ben is having raised money. And I, I always tell you know, entrepreneurs that ask me for advice, like, hey, the badge of honor is not raising money. The badge of honor is getting customers to build a business and actually never having to raise money. Now, you have to, at times, it makes sense to raise money to accelerate your business, but, but that's not the, that's not what we're shooting for. Like, can we, can we go to these bunch of, of places on Sand Hill Road or somewhere and convince them that our idea is good and then all is good in the world, Ben? All is good. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about like your experience because. Yeah how that worked and, and what your choice was. Cause you didn't take that route. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So we finished, we finished Y Combinator. It's August, 2009. We do a demo day. We're not the hottest thing coming out of demo day. You know, like there's a couple of guys talking to us. We don't know anything about raising money. We don't have like a lot of advice <laughs> to lean on or networks and stuff like that. So we're like, yeah, we're going to raise money. And, uh, you know, we start that process and we get like a couple of families, some friends give us a little bit of cash. Little though, let's. I mean, I mean, you yeah, and I were to- talking about total this year. total raise. I think was sixty k. Yeah, so I mean, you. That's just. I mean, sounds like a lot of money to maybe an entrepreneur hasn't raised any money, but like in the realm of things, that's. Well, really you can't good. pay one person's salary with sixty k. So, <laughs> you know, so, right. So, so like that's that. But like, like in that process, right? We went and we talked to some VCs. We had. A couple of guys who looked like they were kind of interested in giving us money. Like there was a guy who had built a live chat company before and he was like, yeah, I'll do this if I, I'll put in money if I can be chairman of the board. And then there's another guy who was like, uh, or he wanted to kind of create the board composition like right then. And then there was another guy, a uh, set of guys that were sort of, I would guess buddies with this guy who were willing to put in like maybe 400K. So we probably could have raised. A bunch more money at that stage. But the thing is, at least our perception, and this could have just been a negotiating point to be removed, but it seemed like this money is coming with a lot of strength. And for me, like part of the reason I'd wanted to build a company, and I wrote this like blog post before I'd like even done much, is like kind of like freedom. Like I, I built Olark so that I could have a place where I wanted to be the CEO or the next hire, or I could hang out with a bunch of my friends doing something great. And that was sort of like, that was like, Ben of 2009 kind of wrote writing this blog post about why this thing is getting started. And like at that time, just like this just doesn't feel right. It's not like, oh, I know how to do the route where you bootstrap and you grow it. And we got like the team had changed a little bit. We had brought on another co-founder and replacing Andrew. So it was me, Matt, Roland, and Zach. Zach was a technical genius. So we had like two tech Technical geniuses, Matt and Zach. Zach was a technical genius at the back end. Matt was a technical genius at the front end. Roland's a fabulous, amazing designer. I'm like an okay business guy, a shitty manager, and like uh, <laughs> uh, a reasonable back end engineer. But like, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like do a lot of things poorly. But like, 
and so, yeah, we basically had all the ingredients we needed to be successful, I think, at that time. So we had the, the right people. We had enough money to eat and we just needed time. And so we, you know, said, okay, we're going to raise as much as we can the next week. I think we, uh, next, like whatever, at, the, at yeah. some point we're like, raise as much as we can the next week and then we're done. This is just a waste of time because we, we don't need the money. And so, and like at this point we launched paid. We just, we had a slowly increasing line that showed our revenue. We're like, you know what? We just follow this line for a while. It'll be fine. And every day we get a graph that would be like, what is our MRR? And it would show like the building over time. That's a monthly recurring revenue for monthly people out there who are not yeah. tech, but, but that is the key, yeah. one of the key yeah. metrics that you want to watch. For a software as a service business, it's a good metric. There's probably some other metrics we should have been paying more attention to. It's like usage or <laughs> like chats charts, or something. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I think actually in those days, all those metrics were really great, but we were really just looking at, but the thing is we weren't looking at them. They just happened to be great. It was just like we lucked out and they were great. So there's many things that like we did. We kind of just managed to get by doing, but that MRR number for us was like... But wasn't that really a signal at that point, Ben, for you that, you know, I I don't hate to use this word that's so freaking overused, but you got product market fit and said a better way. You were just solving people's problem, a true problem that they had that was a true pay point and they were willing to pay you. I mean, at the, at the, at simplifying, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And the thing about it is we had figured out a way that it marketed itself well because every chat box had a link back to us on it. And so in addition, so we had that going on for us and we had like really high word of mouth and we just, that was it. We did not do any paid ads. Didn't really know anything about marketing. Like in all our history, we've never really done paid marketing. Like just not something we've ever really understood how to do. But you so, did some good, uh, I mean, maybe you meant to, you and I talked about this a little bit in the past, but you, you also call it luck, call it whatever, but you got some luck with some organic SEO. I mean, you had that viral component. Yeah, yeah, we did have SEO that helped us out a bit. But in the early days, that wasn't a factor at all. It was because, the virality. Well, back then, we, yeah, we didn't have, I mean, the domain authority is pretty low because we were new and... We didn't have tons of links back to us at that point because we were just still getting started. But why time, did, when did you change your name and why did you do that? Oh yeah, so that happened during Y Combinator. I mean, people think of Paul Graham as like this like genius who has the answers for everything, and all I can say is through our meetings with him, the main thing he was like being was telling us is like, don't be like Dropbox. Like Dropbox was getDropbox.com, and it was just such a huge thing for them to buy dropbox.com like it was just a huge ordeal it cost them tons of money and he's like just like own the .com whatever you guys are going to be <laughs> before you get big so so we were like we looked at abla.com and i think they wanted like 50k for it or something mm-hmm. we didn't have 50k so we're like okay that's not going to work plus uh we learned at some point that abla means something kind of like asshole in arabic or something similar oh god and and then we also <laughs> Learn that no one in the freaking U.S. knows how to spell Abla, and like most people don't know what it means. And we were getting people like, "That's the stupidest name ever." And we're like, "Okay, like, fine, we well, got it. We got enough signals here. <laughs> There's no need to hold on to this." Even though we were like, we were like into it. We we loved it. We had like internally, we we're calling ourselves the Abladors. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it was a fun brand, but. So we had to come up with a new brand, and we just kept putting this off. And eventually, we were just like, "Okay, guys, today, this week, we're doing it." We're going to pick our new brand. And so we just met. There's four of us. We sat down and generated a list of open domain names that we thought could be our brand. There was names like Nowify that I ended up 
uh, well, Nowify, some Pingbee. Pingbee was a favorite. User C, all these like, I don't know, all these brands, these names. And then we would kind of like vote on them. And I think we're kind of like, okay, fine. We'd be like Pingby, I guess. And then we'd call up like Matt's dad and Matt would have to describe to his dad, like the name of the company. And if he couldn't like figure out what Matt was saying, then like it was a no go. So like Matt called up his dad about Pingby and his dad had no idea what he was saying or no and any idea how to spell it. And we're just like, okay, F this shit. <laughs> like I'm done with this process. I'm just going to pick a name. We're going to be that name for the week. And, and if we don't like it, we'll pick another name a week later. So Roland had come up, come up with the name Olark. I don't know where it came from. At the time, he kind of disliked it when I picked it. <laughs> and I was a, like, it's, it's not too bad, great. Roland. You submitted it as a name. It's short and it's easy to spell and it's basically unique internationally. So with that name, we can own the brand. We can create anything we want. There's no connotation in people's heads with this word. So, and so we are Olark for a week. At the end of the week, everyone still liked being Olark, and then we never looked back. It's a good story. It's good for people to understand. Like, do you, and do you think in today's day and age, you actually need the dot com? I mean, we're on Zoom. Zoom is zoom.us. Like, do you think that today it's as important? Uh, I'm an old school guy. I still like the dot coms. I don't know. Like, so, so the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I'm old school. So there's probably data that shows it's not important, but I still think that for the average person, you say something to them and just automatically.com to yeah. it. Like not tech people, but just kind of like you said, I was like zoom.io. You tell like your dad, your dad might add zoom.io.com. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's fair. It's true. So. That's what people were doing with Abla, com. Everyone thought like, you just had like I would say like average users just thought you had that dot com to it. And, I it think, and for us, it was for word of mouth. We're just like we want people to be able to tell someone else what the company is, what the brand is, unambiguously. Yeah. Like when they say it. Fair enough. So you get out. You don't. You you decide tongue in cheek here. I'm gonna raise money for a week. Whatever we get, we're not gonna do. And or, or, or whatever money we get, great. But then we're we're not doing that mo- raise money thing anymore. We're going to go build the product. And at that point, you start to you get a good line of word of mouth. Effectively, whether you de- designed it into the product and knew it was going to work or not, you have that link in the chat of every single one. And actually, before right. you and I met, I knew you because of that. And you know, you and I, we're not that old, but compared to some 20-year-old, we're probably seem old, but we come from three or four waves of the internet when we can remember back to right. the old BBS boards. But I, I remembered Olark uh, because of that, because it was it was viral. So at that point, you guys are growing. And did you just continue the, the trajectory? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about the early day growth that much recently. There probably was kind of like various moments that kind of looked like a hockey stick, like where we like, and then like kind of plateau off and kind of, there was never kind of like a hockey stick, everything just goes. And I'm not sure I really have like a great explanation for what was happening, like in our growth. I mean, I think that in the early days, we would have like PR hits every once in a while. And those PR hits seem to be like pretty, pretty helpful as as time went on, like we would try different things. Like for example, we did a, uh, 
think we might have done like a partnership with Shopify or something like that, like pretty early on. And that shot, like way back when, you know, Shopify was tiny. Right. And that was, and that was pretty huge for us too. And so there's a couple of these sort of little inflection points where working with some other company that was, you know, not big yet, but like pretty good at getting PR, like that would, that would be pretty helpful for us in those early days. And now I, I say it's added, like a pivotal moment. It added, it added legitimacy to the brand. And it like, uh, like when Shopify was going out trying to raise money, like we ended up being some of their case studies. And so oh. they would go and tell VCs like, Hey, like look at our uh, partner network and how like, you know, people are building like real businesses on top of our partner network. And you know, I knew all like Toby and all the like, all the people over at Shopify before, back when Shopify was tiny. So, and I think that there, it's just like interesting kind of being in that environment and like have being in a, in a, an ecosystem where people are just helping each other out. And so, but I, I don't know. I don't really think there's like pivotal, pivotal, like, like moments where like, it's like, Oh, this thing happened and made a major impact. I just think it was like a series of like hustling, like trying to meet other partners in your ecosystem, like understanding all the people there, like, like actually knowing them as human beings. And occasionally these people would help, we'd help each other out. Like we'd promote them. They promote us. I think that really caring about our customers. So in the early days, uh, we all did rotations on support just to make sure that we would stay like very close to the user. And especially when you're just getting off the ground when you're four or five, six, seven, eight people like that, that time is just critical to making sure that you're not uh, out there just like building random shit. Like you're actually <laughs> solving problems for your customer. Cause I feel like it's very easy. Take a step back and be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if when people are all like, hey, like just make free message delivery work better or something, you know, like it's, it's, it's so easy, I think, to like put a support person in front of your customers and then get like a summary <laughs> and then like just like end up building stuff that's like not really that important for your customers at that stage. So it's really important to, to listen to the customer. I think that rotation is, I mean, they're, or even if you just are listening in all the calls and not yeah. even doing it, that you're, you, you learn a ton. So Ben, the other thing that's really interesting is, and I love you did this cause I, I haven't raised some money. I got beat up from it. Uh, some investors in the past, you have a completely remote team, right? Yeah. Completely remote. We stopped paying office leases entirely. I don't know. Maybe like, it wasn't even that long ago. I think we still leased in Ann Arbor, Michigan, like last year in March or something. But no one actually went, had been going to the office for years. It was just kind of like, just like empty building, empty, empty floor of a building. And how many people do you have? You have over 30, right? Yeah, I think we got like, the number is always like a little bit marked yeah. in my mind, but it's, it's probably like around 33 somewhere, yeah, so somewhere, with, give or take two. I think around 33 is what and, we have and, right now. And you guys use, uh, just for those out there who use or are thinking about remote teams, Zoom, do stand-ups with your team. And then you do, I always see some pictures, and I hear you talk about it, You do, yeah. which maybe you would invite some outsiders occasionally. It'd probably be cool. But to your, what do you do? Do you get together once or twice a year? Yeah, it's interesting. So we get together entirely as a company for a week once a year. And... Every year prior to this year, we'd fly people's spouses or SOs out if they wanted to come, and we fly the kids out if they wanted to come. This year, we tried something a little bit different. We just are flying just Olarkers out, and I think part of the reason we did that was because 
we're realizing that by putting the option there, like, you know, sometimes people felt a little more obligated to bring their family with them because it was like more or less free, right? When there's actually a lot of value in being able to take time away from family to focus on Olark because we're so embedded into your kind of like work. We're so flexible, like day to day, like you need to take time off to go deal with something or like pick up a kid or whatever. It's just so easy for our flexible work to blend with that. It's nice to have some time when you can just kind of step away from that and like focus on focus on the company and focus on each other and your relationships with your coworkers and stuff like that. But it's uh yeah, I think it's a really powerful way to to create some of those human connections. It's kind of amazing. It's sort of like like a big family reunion. It's it's just so special. And I'm not sure exactly how we managed to do this, but well, probably because of you, Ben, because uh, I, mean, oh. I, I, I mean, if you can comment, one of the things about Ben for everybody <laughs> is, uh, and this is a saying that you can elaborate. When I first met Ben, he's like, listen, man, it's not about the money. Yes, you want to make money, you're in business, but it's about solving a problem and hanging out with people that you enjoy working with. And I think you're being a little bit humble here saying, I don't know how it happened, but it happened because your leadership really drove that. And you selected. What, what, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll step that back a little bit. I think what we ended up doing is we early on when I started this company, my philosophy of like, I want to be the next hire or I want to be CEO. Like that's been in my head like since the beginning. And then I think Matt, my co-founder is incredibly good about just like caring about culture. Like he cares about culture. Like I care about culture a lot, but Matt is just like me 10 X or something like that. Like Matt is, Matt is, Thinking about the way that people kind of will, will like the way we communicate to the team, the way that we like come back to our values and work values into things. I feel like Matt has like a superpower there. And I think that the combination of me and Matt in those leadership positions and the early days of having these four founders living together in a house where we were all basically family and have the like work through any issue <laughs> we like lived and worked in the same house for like the first two years of the company and so yeah. i think like having that experience like as we brought more people into this family i think we just sort of kept that that mentality uh, and i would also ar- think that like without vc money trying to like validate i to test like with business as a whole it allowed us to allocate a little bit more time towards building values and building culture and building processes within our organization to keep those things alive. And whenever you show up to a retreat and like everyone is hugging each other and it's like the first time they've met, it's just like so it's like very special. I mean, people tell me, Oh, it's like very California, but it's like, it, it, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's very special. Like it's, uh, uh having not worked at a bunch of other places, but having kind of like, interactive like other coworkers or just friends outside of a lark like this is is a rare phenomenon for something like that to happen yeah i think you've got it i mean everything that i know and i hear and and uh when we talk and share ideas it's just that that's what you guys have been really good at and i think that is why you've been able to grow and be successful well, I think there's another factor too. And I think like not only have we grown and been successful and I would say we've been through hard times and like there are many challenges we run through. But I think as a thing is that as a leader, when you have a team that like really cares about you and about each other, like it's just so much easier to deal with tough times and to deal with shit because you're like, Hey, like 
helping out these guys. Like we're in this together. We're trying to get to the same place together. Like, like, you know, like we may disagree, we may face challenges, like we may argue, but like on a psychological safety level, it's there. Like, you know, if you tell me like people know that like, if like something didn't happen because like their kid was sick or because like they, you know, just been dealing with a lot of stuff in their personal life. Like, like they know that like my reaction is not going to be like, Hey, like what the fuck is more like, like it's going to be more like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, are you taking enough time to like take care of that problem? Like, you know, we can, what can we delegate? Like what, like what can we take off your plate so that you can like be present in that moment and like what you need to deal with outside of work. And I think that uh, for me, it's like a long game because if people know that, like they'll bring their whole selves to work because they know that you got them when they need it. Yeah. I think that's, you've done awesome. And, I want to just say a few things like if you have a website out there and you need chat, you you need to get Olark. These guys really have been there since the beginning. They've got, they care as you heard uh, in customer service. So it's olark.com. Now, and I know everybody really wants to talk about the business. I'm, I'm just going to say Ben, like, and you can sum it up, but Olark's doing really well. You, you're, I don't want to talk about revenue. You, you do a lot of revenue. You guys, you, gotta, all, you know, you got to feed and clothe and put everyone's kids through college for 31 people. So. Yeah, I mean, they can, pe- people can do the math out there. You guys are all making, you know, a good, healthy living and you're having fun. And I think that that's important. So now that is uh, I think your shirt that you have on is a 10 year anniversary, right? It is 10 year anniversary shirt. That's the cool thing. When you reach 10 years is these shirts will just appear and you will have nothing to do with them. Like that's that's yeah. like. I don't know. I don't know. Just little things like that make me feel so happy, right? Like just our retreat was organized by our team. It was so co-created. It was, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do when you empower people. So you got 10 years into it. You have kids. What does a day look like for the CEO now of, of Olark? I feel like a day is such like a, I don't know. I know you, you kind of like prompt me, like we're going to talk about a day. Well, yeah, I want you like, to I, like, like you my, get up at seven. My dairy. My dairy uh, yeah, sure. I'll give you kind of like high level, right? Because yeah. like what I'm doing on a day to day basis varies. Yeah. So and it, and it varies more like on the on the place in the quarter or like than it does by day to week or anything like that. So a typical day for me, and I'll just give you like my day. I don't know today because that's like a reasonable example. So. Today is a Friday. It's the end of the week. I try to have a little bit more chill Fridays. So I get up whenever my, uh, right now I'm single parenting. My, my wife is like on the East Coast helping out her, uh, her mom was in a bike accident with our other daughter. So me and Nora are kind of like holding the fort down. Nora's two years old and I've been doing this for about 10 days. So my, my wife goes back, gets back tomorrow. So I'm excited, but like, uh, so, so I get up whenever Nora gets up, which, you know, it could be like, I don't know, seven o'clock could be seven thirty. Then I go and, uh, we have a diabetic cat. So I have to give our diabetic cat shot. I have, I have to feed our cat. Then I have to give her, give it a shot. I have to go feed our dogs. We also have chickens. So I do like this, like mad dash. To basically be as efficient as I can to kind of deal with the stuff. My daughter is two, so I may change a diaper or something like that. If she's kind of like active, normally I'll kind of like leave her inside while I'm dashing around dealing with all the animals and keeping them alive. And then I, and then I come back inside and normally, uh, our nanny, uh, can come at eight 
And then I will like in that gap between when Nora gets up and eight, normally I'll just like, I don't know, I'll hang out and play Duplos or something like that. Normally yeah. we have a game we like to do where we build towers, which is pretty fun out Duplos. And so then workday starts eight, eight o'clock. He's caught me like Fridays. I normally try to keep a little bit more chill. So, uh, you know, I spent like the first like, I don't know, hour and a half, like just really like, sitting down trying to plan because we have a new quarter coming up. And I just like to sit back and like, reflect on our milestones, reflect on our vision, like make sure that all the conversations need to happen to sort of set that up are being thought about. I think I also was doing some reflection on my own OKRs because again, quarter, like we have offset quarters and our quarter, this is like the last week of our quarter. So like the last day of the last week of my quarter is normally trying to be pretty chill. Like I don't like mad dashing around at the end of that time. So it's a, it's a time to reflect. It's a time to think about like, uh, what I've been doing, it's not really a time to like act as much on a, on the, on the last day. So I had, uh, I've been doing a lot of customer interviews. So one of my items, uh, was I spent some time writing up customer interviews and sharing with the team. So I typically do that on Fridays. So I have this quarter I did like over, over 30 calls with customers. Each call was at least half an hour. Longest was maybe like an hour and a half. And I just kind of like let the customer talk and I make the time and space for them. So like, uh, like, and these, 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 and I try to like make like very real, like have like very real conversations and, and, they're, and they're targeted, right? Like my, my hit list was like, I want to talk to definitely, I want to focus in on a top 30 by revenue, but I also mm-hmm. want to kind of spread that out. Like I looked at top 500 by revenue was like the main uh, kind of batch I was focusing on. And then I also looked at the bottom 500 by revenue because I wanted to get like a split perception of like the big guys and the small guys and just like have a, have a good sense. And so, you know, I had like an hour and a half call with someone, uh, one of our bigger customers. And for the first half of that call, we're talking about how like they had gone to a Muse concert and they had like slipped in the bathtub of the hotel, like, like, like messed up their leg. And it was like not the night they were expecting. And now they're like being taken care of. They're like working from home and they're like daughters taking care of them. Like just, like just kind of some real freaking context about what's going on in the lives of our customers because this stuff actually, I think it's important to understand. That like as much as I think, I don't know, like the term human resources is dehumanizing. Like at the end of the day, like every person there is a human. They have like challenges in their job role. They have, uh, so I ask people like, what are the biggest challenges in their job role? Like not even related to OLEC. Like I just want to understand like what's going on in their life. Like what, like what are your challenges? And then I ask like, like what's, what's going on with OLEC? Like what, what's challenging with OLEC? And you know, I try to get like a bunch of context about life, context about work. Contact about Olark. And then, you know, the end, I kind of ask, like, what do you like about Olark? Cause that's always fun to share with the team. But for me, like, I'm trying to like pull in context to sort of feed my, my intuition and my pattern matching around like our customer base, how to reach these people, how to like innovate and how to like, you know, make their lives better. And so like part of the day was spent kind of like reading through some notes, of these interviews, trying to type them up. I try to try to hype these up to the team. And then I use these relationships for things like, oh, like someone wants the marketing wants to do a case study. Well, now I can introduce you or like, Hey, you know, we hear about this bug happening. I'll be like, well, actually I have a recording of a call that I talked to a customer where they're complaining about the exact same thing. And you can kind of understand where it fits into their workflow and why this is important to them. And it's nice. I feel like as CEO to be able to kind of provide that top down, like, Hey, we really freaking care about customers. And did you know that like Laura was running into this issue? Like just try to like kind of with, with a customer base of like over 11,000 customers. Sometimes like <laughs> it's hard to 
for the individual people that work at Olark to see more than the customer service request. And so that's something I'm trying to champion. So I spent, spent some time doing that today. I ran a meeting uh, between product and marketing to discuss how we were going to prioritize uh, product channel fit for like new product and like mingle there just like for everyone to just be aligned with happening going forward. Like who's responsible for what? What's going to happen next quarter? What's going to happen two quarters out? A little bit more like kind of longer term planning. You know, I sat, I'm just looking at my calendar. Yeah, I sat in a meeting. Awesome. Really? sat in a meeting where I was kind of uh, finalizing kind of like a, a role discussion for actually myself, uh, my co-founder, and one of our uh, like senior leaders just to kind of like uh, hash out uh, sort of timeline and some communication planning for, for the rest of the team. I ran to the bank. Yes, you did. And... And I got this call and that's, that's basically a day. And there's like a bunch of other like little stuff in of there, course. there, but like, you know, that's kind of the big, the big chunks of the day. Uh, actually, get, I, oh, last, my last thing, I, I did spend a good amount of time looking over like our, our directors and our higher level managers, like quarter debriefs and providing feedback on that too. And that was something I was kind of rolling in before I ran to the bank. <laughs> just, just cause yeah. like we do, uh, more or less OKRs, but yeah. And, and for our listeners, OKR. Uh, it's objectives and key results, but at the at the high level, the so I all objective accomplishment chains up to me. So like if you're like head of marketing, head of product, head of CS, like I'm I'm the person that's holding you accountable. I'm the person who's running like your mid quarter check in, end of quarter check in, and so the end of quarter check in because we're a remote team is mostly done asynchronous. So there's like a bunch of questions that you fill out and answer in advance. And then we'll have a meeting next week for like a short meeting next week to talk about like last quarter and this quarter. But in between getting your reflection in that in that meeting, there's normally a bunch of asynchronous communication back and forth. Like I like I'll ask some follow up questions. They'll answer them. Mostly what I'm interested in is like, did you hit your objectives? Why or why not? What like what could be improved? What do you learn that you can apply next quarter? And and just kind of helps me. Keep a keep a pulse on where we're at towards some of our bigger milestones and how uh, I can make sure to unblock. But it, but at this stage, like I've found that my biggest leverage is definitely not like its individual contributor, and that's been like a huge huge growth opportunity for me because it took me I don't know it took me nine years to figure that out. <laughs> so like <laughs> you were asking me a question, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, and I think that well, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause that's a really important point, and I think. You recognizing that you don't net that your role isn't necessarily to be in the weeds, but more to manage the business. So you're working on the business, not in the business. And you're yeah. And oh my god, I love working in the business. So (laughs) it's it's it's, uh, it is an ongoing challenge for me. But I think sometimes you have like these customer calls and stuff like that. Like it's been amazing to see the rippling effect of some of this stuff. Or it's just like it's it's really neat when you can do work that you see like multiplicative ripples across stuff, but like if you're so down in the weed, you never see that. So like it's it's yeah, I think this last year has been a year I've been focused a lot more on that and really being mindful. I have like this little like I don't know if I can show you this thing. I have like this little thing I made like I'm an exec coach and I made this little note for myself that says like don't jump in, get dopamine from the big picture, and like literally that's that good to help remember or remind myself that like, well, I do get a lot of enjoyment from solving shit really quickly. That's not where I need to get my dopamine from. 
and it's like you know so it's a way of like training myself to kind of step back and be a much better leader but like, i think that's awesome i don't know where you got that but uh and maybe it's just a benism that you made up but the, I, I i made it up <laughs> but but it but it but it separates you as a human and saying hey look um it's the dopamine here that's doing that to me and i need to recognize that and and re- i still need that i still like that hit but i'm going to get it somewhere else yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's really interesting. I think I basically trained myself to get more dopamine from the big picture throughout this year. But like at the That's beginning awesome. of the year, it was just like, ah, just like, I just want to get in there and solve that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's a, you know, that's a, a huge lesson and you, that's a congratulations to you because that's a big transition. It takes a lot of self-awareness to, to be able to do that as a leader. I feel like that's like, honestly, that's the most fun thing about doing this for 10 years is that you like are constantly learning and you're learning about yourself, like, and you're just growing. And I think that like two things like learning, growing and working with a great team, like what more would you want? And that's oh. why like I have a very hard time understanding people that are like, all they want to talk about is their, fundraising strategy or something like that. <laughs> just like, man, I understand this stuff is important. I understand like how much money you raise, your valuation is important. But like, I, I literally just don't care. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, I will like, we can have this conversation. I can ask you a couple of like useful questions or something like that. But like, for me, like, I just am not really that interested in this kind of stuff. Like, I'm much more interested in figuring out like, how do you build a really great team? And how do we solve a problem? And not like the finance side of it. But there, are, you know, there's plenty of people that care a lot about that stuff. It's just not me. Yeah, I love that about you, actually, Ben. Uh, I think that's why we hit it off a little bit because I like that, you know. And you know, I was a VC, but I sort of am like, hey, let's just build a real business that we enjoy because we're going to be dead in like, <laughs> you, you know, I don't know. Yeah, we're all going to die. We're yeah. basically guaranteed we're all dying. So and I let's guarantee- let's enjoy the time we have. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't, you know, I don't think you or I are going to talk about what valuation we had on our deathbed. That's really not what we're going to talk about or remember. Well, anyone who's doing that probably wasted their life. So. <laughs> uh, I would agree with that. So what I was going to ask you just quickly is in your whole day, the interesting part for me is that I hear any time that you were answering emails. So do you batch process that or do you just not even care? I just don't care. <laughs> who's, who's emailing me that I care about today? Who needs a response on Friday? Right. No, well, 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 how about Thursday? Like, are you, are, are you are, only emails that I am worth? So our companies run on Slack. So one, uh, no, none of my employees are emailing me for okay. or teammates, but the main use of email for me is external parties. So Got like, it. external parties be like, okay, I'm working on some sales thing. I mean, I did you when I, when I kind of like said for a second, like, oh yeah, and there's some other things. I, I probably did send a couple emails. Got that, you. But like, I, I do not. I'm not inbox zero. I'm like inbox a million. Yeah, like, me I'm too. Like inbox is going to crash Gmail. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, uh, I make aggressive use of kind of the Gmail importance, like starring, like auto filtering, and basically right. anything that doesn't get selected in there, probably not going to read because I get so much junk, like so much junk that it's just like, it, like I, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And so, you know, well, that, like, that, I, I, I use my sent email folder is a way of tracking stuff I'm trying to keep track of because that's that I know, like I care about everything in there. 
Well, that that totally that totally makes sense, and, and I don't want to spend too much time. I just wanted for the listeners because sometimes they get like, how do you handle it, and you know, and it sounds like you've got a good grip. Now, oh, I know yeah, your daughter's. Ignore it. <laughs> I, I, I know Nora's going to get up soon because uh, so far so good. But I want to end with three HPTs, high percentage tips to from Ben to the entrepreneur community of anything from starting a company, growing a company. What, what would those three HPTs be? Yeah. Okay. So thank you for asking me about these in advance. So I could be a little bit smarter about them. <laughs> yeah, so well, I, I, I spent like five minutes for it. I'm on the call thinking <laughs> maybe, maybe 30 seconds. So yes, your HPTs. Uh, one, I think you should probably read the book Radical Candor. I think Radical Candor is an amazing way of framing feedback. It's written by a lady named Kim Scott that worked at Google, worked at Apple University, and was tried to spin off kind of like a thought leadership company called Radical Candor now. But the book, Radical Candor, provides a really good framework of thinking about feedback. And in particular, what you want to do is you want to care a ton, and you want to challenge directly. Like, that's the ideal quadrant of her her little, uh, like, feedback quadrant. Uh, but what, But within that book, it talks a lot about how it's important it's uh, in her opinion that she values direct obnoxious feedback more than kind of like a uh, passive, like, like I think a lot of times people hold back on, on kind of speaking their mind and for like, for fear they're going to offend the other person. And her argument is based on this better to offend the other person, let them know what's on your mind than it is to be insincere and just yeah. kind of, like shape that message. That's and why I love like, my wife. Yes. So like, so like in, in like, like in, in that book, I think that framing is like super valuable and it really resonated with me. And there's also a bunch of applicate, uh, like applied lessons for management and stuff in that book too. It packs a lot in. Well, I want to wait before you go to two. I want to cover myself because I said that's why I love my wife, not because she's obnoxious, because she's honest with me and always gives me the straight feedback. Number two, Ben. Yeah. My wife is the same way. Also. Amazing in the same way, probably helping me learn a ton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kim Scott just gave me a framework to realize why Cat was so awesome, but like, <laughs> and, and to bring it to work. So, and, and that's fantastic. And I think that's what you look for in a partner, a coworker, a co-founder, yeah. like a business relationship. I just wanted—I don't want anybody thinking that I was saying my wife's obnoxious. My wife has made me a better person, no question about it. So, number two, Ben. Number two. All right, so. This is a useful lesson. I think some people are very impatient and I think that they try to see things happen very quickly. So like if you, if you look and, and the metaphor I'm going to use for this is uh, the story analogy. So like basically we went through Y Combinator. I, back in those days, I think maybe there's 28 other companies in our batch, something like that. I would say of those companies, maybe five are still alive right now and operating individually. Wow. So. And that, that might be a slight exaggeration, but there's just like very few of those companies in that batch are still alive right now. And very few of them had, and those that I'm counting are dead of them. Very few had good exits. Got so it. like you have to imagine that like if you're like running a race, right? And you like see these people that are like way ahead of you and they're like, Oh, they raised all this money. They're just killing it. They may be running really fast at the beginning, but that does not mean long term success. And I think that oh, nice. by focusing on customers, and creating value for customers, if you do that consistently and grow that, that scales and that works and that'll get you to where you want to be. Trying to like accelerate that process with a ton of money does not work for many people. It may seem like it when you go out and you like read about a couple of successes, but if you imagine the amount of money dumped into VC, 
versus the amount of money that actually have huge successes. Uh, a few of these like giant, your your like WeWorks and your Theranoses and your like, there's plenty of examples of companies that raise tons of money and like I think maybe didn't provide the customer value that they their investors thought they were going to get out of it. Um, That's a great advice. So so yeah, so I think that just think about that long term. Be patient and don't get caught up in that like oh like you have to move like super freaking fast to be successful. I think that like so many companies fail because they try to move too fast. And they don't, they try to get, they try to go somewhere before they're ready to be there. And they just put themselves in a situation where they can't win. Like, for example, like increasing your burn to the extent where now you got to lay off a ton of people to survive. The act of laying off people is like incredibly depressing. And, oh, it's yeah, gonna, it's like, the, and the people that are still around, it's going to be super depressing for them. Like it's, it's hard times and you don't, you don't have to, you can avoid putting yourself in a situation like that. Great just advice. one small example. And then my last. My last piece of advice is to think about, I like to call them kind of feedback loops, like around sort of listening, learning and improving. And I think you can apply these, like this, like that, that framing to basically any situation. You can apply it to customers, right? Like come up with some process where you can listen, right? Actually hear what people are saying, where you can learn, like internalize what it is they're saying, like maybe uh, consolidate a bunch of interviews, think of patterns, stuff like that. And then improve, like actually act on the information to do something new. So you can do it from a customer standpoint. You can do it from a management standpoint, like listening to your, your employees or your reports and taking the time to like learn and taking time to, to craft like how this is going to lead to improvement. And I think that just if you can like put that like framing in your head, it can be super valuable to approach problems in that way. I think a lot of times people sort of try to like jump in really quickly to say like problem solution or they try to like move like pretty fast from just like oh here's a problem here's immediate solution not like here's like five different solutions or something like that just another like kind of like slow down think before you act and then my bonus tip oh bonus uh, hpt i love it i'm gonna go for feedback is super important and there's a very straightforward way to look at it i think a lot of times people like especially uh engineers and the way that you interact and provide feedback over say like positive feedback in particular a lot of times people will be like oh like i don't know brandon plus plus like in a channel or a bot and they're like oh karma goes up that is shit feedback the good way to provide feedback <laughs> is to say that like like brandon the way that like when we hang out you're like quite present and all that your whole mind is on the conversation it has like a very good impact on me because I enjoy it. Like when we're, when I know that we're like focused and we're like in it together, it makes me like, you know, respect you as a human being. Cause it kind of like helps, helps me feel uh, seen and heard. Well, that's and, very nice of you. And, I don't know if you're actually talking about this, Brandon. But... I, I'm totally am. And, <laughs> and, and I think that like, and, and I think your candor also like the, like your willingness to kind of speak and be vulnerable and have conversations like makes our relationship stronger. And I think. And what that does is it makes me believe that like you do this in more relationships and it kind of shows me that like you're a real dude and makes me feel like I can like, like trust you in many ways. Right. So, well, so likewise, like, just so you know, likewise, yeah. that's why you and I get along well. But yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think the, the that. point that I'm making is like when you have, when you're giving feedback, positive or negative feedback, I think it's important to label like the behavior, what impact you perceive and then impact that, that, uh, that has on you and in the world. And I think that if you can frame feedback like that, it can be, it's, it's more work, but it's incredibly powerful for the people that receive the feedback. And 
and you'll get a lot of positive feedback yourself once you kind of uh, once you think of that that way. And that applies both for negative feedback and for positive feedback. I think that's so, awesome. Uh, that's that's my final. Well, that was awesome. I didn't expect the bonus. Uh, Well, I know that your daughter's going to get up and you have been really great. This has been awesome. I'm so grateful for you coming on. And truthfully, Ben, I love talking to you. I I don't know why you and I haven't gotten together (laughs) more, but uh, we got that group that that I told you. Yeah, so totally. that'll give us an excuse, and then we're going to do dinner with our wives and everything. Together. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. My um, wife gets back tomorrow. We'll find a time. It'll be it'll be fantastic. And so, yeah, yeah, like you know, and I appreciate that about you. I appreciate that our conversations are always very real and very candid. And then, like when we come back after not talking to each other for a while, it doesn't feel like time has passed. And I think that's another like another sign of someone who really like is is invested in the in the conversation and not just trying to like who's actually listening, you know, and actually like being engaged. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. I'm looking I really, really appreciate the call. I'm looking forward to it. Enjoy your weekend. When Kat gets back, you'll probably be relieved, but you'll be here <laughs> and a little less duty. Everybody, Ben from Olark, if you need a chat program, that's what you want to do. That's what you want. And you'll learn why they care about their customers so much. This has uh, been 90 minutes of, pretty much understanding that. So thank you so much, Ben. Enjoy your weekend. For sure. Thanks, Brandon. Take care. What a great episode. Ben, thanks for coming on, man. Looking forward to seeing what happens with Olark in the future. I know you're going to take it to a whole new level. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe. So you stay updated with our weekly episodes. Rate and review this podcast and let us know how we're doing. And tell a friend who you think would be interested and pass on the love. Thanks for being so generous with your time to help our podcast out. It is listeners like you who have helped us hit the charts in places like Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Until the next episode... Remember, you are just one business plan away. I'm rooting for your success. We'll see you soon.